My name is Sean Bynum. I'm an elder here and a covenant member at the Bridge Church. And I'm Felicia Bynum, and we're just going to talk a little bit about generosity and why we believe that is important. Mm-hmm. Um, generosity is important to us because it's, in, it's important to God. Um, he um, gave to us beyond what we could ever give to Him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we know that everything that we have is because of Him. Um, it belongs to Him, um, and it's just to be used for His glory. It sets the example not only for our children, but it challenges us to practice what we preach and to actually live out what we believe. To be honest, it can be challenging at times, but it is always a blessing in it. And it teaches me because I'm selfish. I like things for myself. In cases where I could choose to be generous or not, I have to trust in God and know that all things belong to Him. And then if I lean not on my own understanding, I can trust and say, God, whatever it is that you're calling us to do with our finances, we, we are going to do that. God has called us to be a part of a body. God has called us to be uh, an active part of, of a local body. And God is called, uh, has called us to be active in our city. And the way we do that is through our generosity. Our goal and our desire is to see the kingdom of God come here on this earth. We believe that we are churches for Christ and for community and, and for the city. So if we're churches for the city and we believe that and we trust that God will use us, He will use our finances. And He doesn't need it. What it is, it's, it's a heart thing. And when we give, we demonstrate that we trust God with all things in every aspect of our lives. We truly believe that your finances tie your heart to the things of God. So. We give, and we give cheerfully, we give joyfully. And even when it hurts, we trust God in the midst of it. My encouragement is to trust God, to ask Him, what would you have for me to do with my finances? How would you have me to be generous in the local church and in our community? And when you trust Him, allow God to to move in such a way that your finances and your life will be a blessing to the kingdom of God and help usher in the kingdom of God here on this earth and to demonstrate to your family and to all those who are watching, because believe me, people are watching you, that this God that we serve is real mm-hmm. and that everything belongs, belongs to Him. It belongs to Jesus. And we are His, His willing and faithful servants. Um, hey, well, good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, I want you to grab your Bible and open it to Proverbs, which is almost smack dab uh, in the middle of the Bible. We're going to be in Proverbs. Now, our normal custom is to walk through um, books of the Bible where we literally begin at the very beginning and walk through the entire book of the Bible, which is what we just did with the book of Habakkuk. But every now and then we take uh, little breaks to thematically address topics, and we're going to go through uh, the book of Proverbs over the next uh, today and uh, next Sunday in this uh, three-part mini-series is called Wisdom and Wealth. Wisdom and Wealth. Now turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to sting. This is going to sting. All right. And and, and here's here's why. Nobody in church wants to talk about money, right? I mean, just no... Nobody does. You're, you're already awkward. I'm already awkward. Nobody wants to talk about it. But we believe that Jesus taught about money like exhaustively uh, because of the way that, the, that money has a tendency to uh, take control of our hearts and to grip our hearts. And so we as a church, we don't back down from the topic of money because we want, what is, we want what's best for you. We say we don't talk about money because of what we want from you, but because of what we want for you. Okay, so turn to your other neighbor and say, this is for you, all right? 
This is for you. This is, this is for you. Now, here's, um, and here's, here's just the honest reality. Um, nobody chooses where they come from, right? Uh, nobody chooses where they, they come from. Um, you, you, no one consulted us, how arrogant of them, when we were being born and coming into this universe where we were going to be and when we were going to be, right? We didn't get consulted on that uh, um, process. And so in many ways, you're a victim of your generation, right? Because you didn't have any control. So if you're a millennial here today, you know, which I, I'm kind of, I'm on the line. I kind of am a millennial and kind of not. Um, it's not your fault, okay? It's not your fault. Um, you're a victim. You're a victim of your generation. Nobody um, chooses where they come from. Um, and here is where we come from. You and I live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a country that we love, that we enjoy, that we are excited about, but we live in a culture, and we've been born into a culture, and it'd be fundamentally different if we were in China, it'd be fundamentally different if we were in South Africa, it'd be fundamentally different if we were uh, somewhere else. We have been born into a culture in which we have been indoctrinated with this unbelievable concept, in many ways good concept, but an idea called the American dream. Now, you and I have drunk the Kool-Aid completely, and our lips are red of this idea of the American dream that we can create for ourselves whatever life we want. Go to college, start a business, build wealth, do whatever you want. That's the American dream. And in many ways, the American dream isn't necessarily flawed. I mean, I think it's a good, a good idea. I actually like the idea that we have opportunity in this country that you don't have in other countries. I think it is generally speaking a good idea. There's something to be commended about the American dream. But if you're not careful, the American dream will kind of be like a sleeper cell in your life. Now, a sleeper cell, it's a group of people that kind of inconspicuously remain dormant in a culture or a group or a community until the time is right in which they are activated and they perform acts of espionage, sabotage, or terrorism. And a sleeper cell is around you all the time. It is in essentially the water in which you swim. You don't even realize it until the end in which it tries to kill you. And in some ways, the American dream is great, but in some ways, the American dream is like a sleeper cell because it can't actually deliver on its promise. It can't make you happy. It can't fulfill you, it can't satisfy you, it can't make all of your wildest dreams come true. And too many of us as Christians have at the core of our heart the American dream rather than the heavenly dream. The American dream rather than the heavenly dream, we are too concerned about an American dream than the gospel dream and what God would have us and the way that God would have us live our lives. And the goal of our church and the goal of the community of faith is to really indoctrinate you more with God's dream than the world's dream. And so that you live in such a way that is reflective of what God would have of your life rather than what the world would have of your life. Am I preaching yet to anybody in the room yet? So I introduced this concept last, um, I introduced this concept last week throughout the book of Proverbs and throughout the Old Testament. It's, we translate it in English as wisdom, but the Hebrew word is chokmah. All right, so, so tell your neighbor, chokmah, um, And you're like, man, that is so old. You did that last week, and now you're doing it this week again. And I'm going to do it next Sunday as well, just for you, okay? I'm going to do it next Sunday. It's chokmah. It, you you kind of have, 
you have to really say it with a stank face to make it right. Like, Hulkama. That's how you, you kind of have to say it if, to make it right. The idea of Hulkma or wisdom, it's, as King Solomon has told us, the wisest person in the history of the world, the wealthiest person in the history of the world, as we're going to see in Proverbs, he has told us that there is this thread, this invisible thread that goes throughout the universe that shows us the heart of God and the way of God and the way that we should operate in moments and situations. Do you know that every decision that you make in life and every moment in life is either working towards Hulkmah or working against Hulkmah? And King Solomon wants us to live and operate as God would in such a way that corresponds and that is right with this idea of wisdom. And when we live in accordance and working towards wisdom, we can receive and we can expect that blessing will follow that. But the same is true as well that if we live against the way of wisdom, that demise and destruction will follow that. And so what we're trying to do in our series with wisdom and wealth is to look at God's wisdom, and specifically as it relates to our wealth and our resources and our money and our generosity. So here's what I'm going to do today. Today we're going to walk through five generosity excuses. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to your neighbor. Five generosity excuses that we make when it relates to our resources, our finances, and you're like, Ethan, wow, where did you come up with these five generosity excuses? I came up with them because they come from my life, all right? So that's how I'm, I'm an expert on the topic today, okay? So here's number one. Let's dive in. Number one, excuse number one, I don't have enough money to be generous. I just don't have enough money to be generous, uh, Ethan. Man, and if I had more money, you could guarantee I would be generous. I would be a generous person. If the Lord would just give me a little bit more money, then I would be generous. Do you know, I used to believe this. My wife and I, when we first met, when we were first married, um, I was um, in seminary, just making tons of money, you know, I was in seminary and... Um, Worked a couple part-time jobs. Um, I remember um, one of the jobs that I, I worked at uh, Longhorn uh, Steakhouse, uh, serving, serving people. Um, that was not fun. And then I also uh, worked at this company called I Must Garden. I'm not lying. It's I Must. They, they made repellents for gardens. I worked in a warehouse, listened to podcasts all day. And then um, I, I got really desperate because we couldn't hardly pay the bills. And for like a month, I worked a third shift at a FedEx warehouse moving cardboard boxes. And that was exhilarating, I, I must say. I mean, it was, it was, in, it was incredible. And then my, my wife, fortunately, by God's grace, my wife um, was so, um, she, she just was so loaded. She was a school teacher, and she taught fourth grade. And it was just, uh, can, you can you see, like, our lives? Do you see, like, the way that we were so richly uh, blessed? We, fall, we fell into the category in our first year of marriage, was, you know, we just don't have enough money to be gener generous. Um, and then the Lord kind of convicted um, us and said, uh, you need to take a step of faith and just be generous with what I've given you and see what I do with the rest. You know, I, um, I think sometimes we fall into this category of I just don't have enough money. The scripture for this is Proverbs 21, 26. It says this, the righteous gives and does not hold back. The righteous, if, if you're new to church, maybe you're not a Christian, you're like, that's a Bible word. The righteous here, the idea, he's referring to a group of people, a category of people. It's a community of people. These are specifically God's people. They're referred to as righteous, redeemed, so on and so forth. And here, King Solomon says the righteous, which means if you're part of God's kingdom, you're part of the community of faith, you're part of this thing, this Jesus thing, you're part of this movement, you're part of it. Us, these, these kinds of people, us, you and me, we, the righteous, we give and we don't hold back. 
Like he doesn't, I find it interesting, he doesn't say the rich righteous gives and doesn't hold back. Or um, the business owner righteous gives and does not hold back. You know, he doesn't put qualifiers before righteous. He just says the righteous, a characteristic of the righteous, of God's people, is we give and we do not hold back. And it reminds me of a story of Jesus told one day. He gathered his disciples together, and he said, hey, I want to tell you a story. They're hanging out in the temple, and the temple was the place where worship would happen for God's people, and there were places that you could give, and there was like uh, boxes for offering and tithes and such, and People would come into church, and they were like, get out their big checkbook and their big pen, and they would write in big letters how much they were giving to the temple and to God's people, and they were like very pious and pompous and religious. And then there was this like uh, little older lady who was a a widow, and she didn't hardly have anything, and she walked in, and nobody really noticed her. Um, She didn't get like a nice letter from the pastor the next uh, week about her contribution. She just walked into the church, um, the temple that day, and she reached into her pocket and she took out um, two coins and she put it in the treasury and then she walked out. And Jesus told his disciples, she gave more than anybody else. It's like, Jesus, how could you, how could you, you say that? Because she, she gave um, out of a place of a generous heart and she was not going to be limited by what was in her hands. Do you know that sometimes we make an excuse for what is in our hands and use what's in our hands to limit our generosity in our lives rather than just use what God puts in our hands for his kingdom and for his glory? Can I ask you a question today? I'm going to ask this probably throughout the sermon. What's in your hands today? What has the Lord given you? You're like, well, I'm a high, I'm a high school kid. I, I work at cruisers during the summer. I don't have hardly any money. Well, what does the Lord put in your hand? Uh, Ethan, I'm a college student, or Ethan, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a single mom. Ethan, I'm this, I, I'm, I'm this. What has the Lord put in your hands? Now, one of the excuses that we make is that, you know, once I get um, more money, then I will be uh, generous. Can I say this as well? At the end of the day, generosity really isn't a financial decision. It's a gospel decision. Generosity really isn't a financial decision. It is a gospel decision. Do you know that um, generosity is never convenient? You're never going to be like, wake up next week and be like, wow, like we just look at all this money that's just lying around. What in the world should we do with it? I guess today we will be generous with all of this money that we have, and I don't know what to do with all of this money. Maybe Generosity is never convenient. You're, you're never, it's never going to get easier at some point down the road. Generosity is not a financial decision. It's a gospel decision. And here's the gospel. Jesus Christ has been unbelievably generous to you. And that your account before God has been cleaned and washed and wiped away before God. Your sin, your shame, your guilt, your pain, everything that was wrong against you, everything that the enemy was stacking up against you, your chains that were holding you down, Jesus Christ himself generously uh, wiped that all away, and he did it. Uh, through giving his own life, which cost him something. It cost him pain. It cost him a relationship with the Father. It cost him something. And he generously gave to you so that you could receive from the Lord the righteousness and the relationship with the Father. And, and we, we give, we're, we're generous, not because it makes sense on our, uh, on our bank account. Like, that's not a generosity decision. We give and we are generous because it's a gospel decision. That Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
So we give. Generosity always starts with a gospel decision, not a financial decision. Here's excuse number two. Excuse number two. I'll be generous someday down the road. Someday down the road when I get that promotion that I've been really trying to get, when I get that new job, um, then, then that'll be the day. Well, I'll finally step across the threshold, and I'll finally be generous. That it, Once I get out of these college debts, can I get an amen in the room? But once I get out of the college, all these loans and these student loans, and the, man, then, man, that day, that day, I'll, or man, well, I just, I'm just kind of waiting. I'm, I'm making my um, investments grow, and so once they have grown to the point in which, because there will be more there later than there is now, so we'll just let those investments grow, and then once we cash out our 401k, then we will be uh, generous. Here's what Solomon would say to us, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, as I said last week. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. See, generosity is it's about using whatever God has put in your hands. Generosity isn't about one day or someday. Generosity is about today. It's about today. When it's inconvenient and it doesn't make sense, I'm going to take a step and I'm going to practice generosity. And do you know that I I feel like I need to warn you and I feel like I need to caution you that if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you're not practicing generosity, I need to warn you of like um, something pretty dangerous. Uh, Malachi would say it this way in Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, says the Lord, the whole nation of you. Therefore, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You know, you can't rob God and reap a reward. You can't rob God and expect a reward. You can't rob God and expect a blessing. Do you know that God is, <coughs> as this verse says, he's just testing you. He's testing you to see what you'll do. Do you know that all of the Christian life is one of trust and faith? God is testing you to see if you actually trust in him. God, I don't, I don't know how I could, I can't hardly pay my bills, God. I, I don't know how I could give anything. I don't know, 10%, God, I mean, that sounds like a lot for what they did back then. God, what are you, you're calling me to do what? I don't understand how I could possibly do that. God is testing you to see if you will respond in faithfulness. And here's the promise of faithfulness. God always rewards faithfulness. God always rewards faithfulness. I was in a community group, in our community group this past um, Monday, and having fantastic conversations about kind of what was um, happening and some of, the, some of the stories that were coming up from the people in our community group. I'll tell a couple of them real quick. Um, uh, one girl, she told the story of how when she and her brother graduated from high school, that their, uh, her grandparents um, gave both of them $3,000. Uh, these are great grandparents, by the way. Anybody else get $3,000 at graduation? I didn't get $3,000. $3,000 at their graduation. And they were going to give it to them to be put into a fund, an investment fund that would grow over time. 
which is just like a double wimp. That's even a better idea. That is, you are amazing if you're a grandparent and you do that. Her and her brother both graduate from high school, $3,000. Uh, she just feels kind of led and kind of has a heart. Man, I, I've been given this, but I need to give to the Lord um, from this. And so she decided she'd take 10% of what she'd received from her grandparents and give it directly to, um, to God, to his church, to his mission, and gave that and was, if I do, if my math is right, I believe that's $300, right? Is that right? $300, and she's left with the remainder and that she invests and puts into the fund. Her brother, however, decides that for whatever reason, he's not led to do that. He uh, uh, holds on to the 3000 remains the 3000 puts it as well into an investment. One year later, guess what? One year later, hers had tripled and his had actually declined. Like, well, Ethan, it must have been like uh, whoever that guy's fin- financial advisor. We got to get him a new financial ad- ad- advisor. Or was it the faithfulness of God? Or was it God rewarding faithfulness? Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel up here, you know. You know. Send me a check, make a contribution to my online or to my TV ministry, and then God's going to give you a check for $1,000. I'm not, I'm not preaching that. Uh, but I am preaching that God rewards faithfulness, that God rewards faithfulness, that he's testing you, watching and waiting to see if you actually believe in him or if you believe in something else. I'll be generous someday down the road. Here's number three. Here's number three. And just to remind you once again, I believed all of these excuses at one point or another and still struggle with them myself. Excuse number three, generosity is optional. Generosity is optional. It's it's like an add-on to the Christian faith. You know, it's like, man, that's like once you get to varsity level, you know, that's like, We'll, we'll get there someday. It's, it's optional right now, but one day uh, we will be uh, generous because, man, that is like, that's like varsity level. You're going to give of a certain percentage to the church. That is, that's unbelievable. Here's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 3, 27. Do not withhold good, and in the context it means financial good. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it which means whatever God has put in your hands, whatever power, whatever opportunity you have, whatever God has placed in your hands, if you have the ability to do good, to bless, to be generous, and it is in your power to do it, you should do it. You should do it. That means it is expected of you. You could say it this way. Generosity isn't a luxury. It is a command. Generosity isn't a luxury. It's a command. It is commanded of God's people. And this is what I actually love about generosity. We... As Christians, as the community of faith, as the church, Jesus followers should be the most generous people on the planet. I mean, we should just blow people's socks off with our generosity. We should be known by generosity as the church. And God expects us and commands us to live this way. It's only, it only makes sense for those who have experienced from God and received from God to be able to have this kind of lifestyle in the same way. Generosity isn't a luxury, it is a command. And the opposite, see, greed fools you into thinking um, that you are winning when you're actually losing. Greed says, well, just hang on to that a little bit longer. Greed says, man, you're, you're more important than they are. Your needs are higher, are bigger than their needs. Just hang on to that a little bit while, get a little bit more, save a little more, spend a little more. It's about you. That's what greed says. Greed prevents you from experiencing the life that God would have for you. A couple passages, uh, Proverbs rather, Proverbs 119. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. It robs you of life when you are greedy. As well, Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. That's a promise from the Lord. 
If you trust in your riches, you will fall. But the righteous, there's that word again, will flourish like a green leaf. How many of you, just out of curiosity, want a life that flourishes like a green leaf, like a plant? That's the kind of life that I want to have. I want to have a life that thrives and that flourishes and that abounds. And the way that happens is through generosity. It's through generosity. It's living this uh, way. It's practicing this, this way of living. Do you know that generosity is a spiritual discipline? It's not like, you know, optional. It's a spiritual discipline, just like praying, just like reading your Bible, just like corporate worship, just like community group, just like confession of sin. Generosity is a spiritual discipline all the same. And generosity, it isn't a luxury. It is a command. Here's number four. Number four, excuse number four. As long as I'm generous with my time, I don't have to be generous with my money. I can see going there. Is he really doing that? Now, let me, just, let me just say this before I dive into this one, because this is a tricky one. Um, some of you are here today, and the only thing that you have is time. Some of you are here today, and you, you are wrecked financially. Um, you're here just barely scraping along to pay the bills. Some of you are here today, and your um, electricity isn't on at the moment. That's what I love about our church, actually, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church, people of every different socioeconomic status, people at the very top, people at the bottom, and we have all sorts of different kinds of people in here. If you are here today and you are in financial need, especially if you are a covenant member and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills and how you're going to get through tomorrow and how you're going to get through the rest of this month, please let us know. We want to help you. We want to help you. We want to love you. We want to bless you. We have um, an entire deacon ministry of people that are willing and ready to walk with you through whatever your situation is. And we, um, we don't, well, I was going to say we don't have unlimited resources. Technically, the Lord has unlimited resources. Whatever resources he has given to us, we will do our very best to try to help you and bless you in whatever situation that you are in, okay? So this isn't about, this isn't about you trying to get your money and trying to be guilty. Some of you are too prideful to ask for help, too. I just feel like in the spirit right now, I need to tell you, you need, you need to ask for help, and you're too prideful to ask for help because you think about it's your own, it, it's your own you're so prideful because it's your own life that you're trying to build and trying to create, and you need to be brought to your knees and to a place where you can ask for help. All right, so if you're in a place of need, we would love um, to help, and perhaps the only thing that you have to give right now is your time. Now, for the rest of y'all, For the rest of y'all, I would assume that 99% of the people in the room have something that is called disposable income. All right, let me break that down for you. If you, in the past month, have stopped by Starbucks, you have disposable income. If you have gone to a movie, you have disposable income. If you have gone on a trip that you did not have to go on, you have disposable income. All right? And here's the reality. I hope that you give your time. Time is probably one of the greatest possessions that you have, one of the greatest resources that you have. But when Proverbs and when Jesus talk about generosity, they're not just talking about your time. They're talking about your wallet. Anybody can give their time, but it kind of stings to open up your pocketbook. It kind of stings to, to give up financially. And when Jesus talks about generosity, he is talking about financial generosity. That's what he is talking about. Proverbs says this, Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25. One gives freely, speaking financially, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want or lack. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. 
reminds me of a story um, from the New Testament with Jesus, and the story is of um, the young boy and his lunch. Do you remember the story? Jesus is with a few thousand people. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They're out in the country. They're out in the country, and they are uh, together. They're on these, like, hills and stuff, and they're all together. One of the disciples comes up and says, hey, Jesus, we are hungry, all right? And they, honestly, they were hangry. I mean, they were, it was time to eat. They, were, they wanted to eat. They didn't have any food. And Jesus is like, your problem, not my problem, all right? I'm preaching a sermon right now. Um, after the sermon, we'll eat. Um, go and see what you can figure out, but don't interrupt me again in my sermon during the middle of my sermon, all right? Some of y'all thinking about lunch, by the way. You need to wait, all right? We're in the sermon right now, and the, food, the food's coming, all right? But right now, you need to be fed by the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Um, well, Jesus, Jesus is teaching this. He's, he's teaching these, these people and thousands of, thousands of people, and, um, and, and they come back, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we got, we got nothing. The only thing we got is like this little, this little boy, he's got like a Hebrew Happy Meal, and that ain't going to work, you know, because we don't have enough food for everybody. And so what do you want to do? You want us to go home? You want us to tell him to all leave? What do you want us to do? And he says, no, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. This little boy, like this little boy, he comes and he, he, he meets Jesus. He's got his little, he's got his little lunchbox that his, his mom, by the way, that was a, she's a great mom, by the way. She's the one, nobody else had lunch. He, he had lunch, all right? Was, give her a little love. And he's got his, his lunch, and he walks up to Walks up to Jesus. Jesus says, what you got? He's like, I got five loaves and two fish. All right. And Jesus says, can I have it? Think about this. Like, this is my lunch, Jesus. (laughs) This is my lunch. This is all I got. This is my mama makes me this every day, and this is what I got, and this is my lunch, and you want me to give it to you. It doesn't actually say that in the text. I'm kind of elaborating and um, imagining what would go on if I was the little boy. And... The little boy, he doesn't say, Jesus, um, you can't have my lunch, but I'll give you my time. <clears throat> you can't have my fish sandwich, but I'll give you some time. You need, me to, you need me to do something in the hills. You need me to do something, walk around, I'll give you my time. No, the little boy, um, he, gives, he gives Jesus everything. Um, that little boy in that moment, he trusts that whatever he places in Jesus' hands, Jesus is good enough and God enough to provide for his needs. And I hope you give your time, you know. I hope you give your time. Your time. I hope you sacrifice your time. Generosity is primary about, primarily about finances. It's about what the Lord has put in your hands, large or small. Reminds me of that passage, he who is faithful in the little will be faithful over much. Some of you today are like, man, I just, I just don't have hardly. Hey, if you'd be faithful in the little, one day you'll be faithful over much. What the Lord has given you. Here's the last one. Excuse number five, and we'll be done. Excuse number. Since I can't afford to tithe ten percent, I won't give it all. I can't afford ten percent. That's a lot. Which, by the way, I mean, if, if you if you give, if you seriously, I mean, this is crazy. If you take 10% of your gross income, and we're not talking about like after the government takes it away, but 10% of your gross uh, income, that is a lot. That's crazy. I mean, that's crazy talk. I mean, this is what, what many Christians do. And you're like, well, I j- man, I can't um, afford 10%, so I'm just not going to give at all. Well, here's, here's how I encourage you, and some of you may disagree with me on this, but that's okay. Um, there isn't a formula for generosity in the Bible. 
To break it down for you real quick, and I know that some of you practice the tithe and 10%, and that is awesome. My wife and I actually practice something that is kind of similar with a little bit of New Testament modification. Um, But the Old Testament, God's people, this was a civil law. This was a responsibility of God's people as a nation. It was the way that they funded their government. It was the way that God's people worked. You would take 10% of your first produce, of your first salary, whatever you had. You would bring it into the storehouses. This was the uh, tribe of Levi. The Levites were responsible for the storehouses and the worship of God and his people, and his, his temple, you would bring in 10%. Uh, theologians tell us that really, actually, if you total up all the festivals and all the other things throughout the year that God's people were required to give to, all the offerings and the sacrifices, it was really more like 23 to 25% of your annual income that you would be giving directly back toward God and his kingdom. Now, in the New Testament, we don't see this um, 10% required or mandated by um, anybody. In fact, Jesus um, says, does this in a few different places. In, in one place, in Luke chapter 18, he requires one person to give 100% of what they have. They're like, Lord Jesus, not me. Please, not me. There's another place in Luke 19 where Jesus um, requires someone to give 50%. And then there's another place where Jesus commends, in Luke 11, he commends 10%. There isn't a formula in which you can pat yourself on the back in which look at my generosity. See, the problem, I love the tithe, and I love the idea of it, and I practice kind of a form, a, a, a semblance form of it, but the issue with it is when you get to 10%, you kind of pat yourself on the back, and you're like, wow, I've been generous to God. He should be, he should be happy with me. Gener- generosity isn't, isn't a formula. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. This is the way that we say it. Um, I'll run through these quickly. This is the way that we say it at the bridge. Giving God's way. Giving God's way. One joyful God commands us to give generously in a joyful way. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver, which means when you give, you need to smile. You need to smile. It needs to make you happy, and some of you aren't smiling right now. Like, I don't like talking about money. You need to give joyfully. It needs to be um, something that is cheerful for you. Number two, radical. It needs to be radical. It needs to not make sense. It needs to be extravagant. We see in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, that they gave according to their means and beyond their means, which means it didn't make sense to anybody. The Holy Spirit told them to give and to give a certain amount, and it was radical, it was extravagant, and it didn't make sense. We also see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that they sold all of their possessions and their belongings and gave all the proceeds to the apostles to distribute as any has need. That is radical. That is crazy. We should be um, giving radically. You're like, well, Ethan, how do I know what is radical? You know you're giving radically when it starts to sting. And for some of you, that's like 1%. You're like, man, if I, if I gave 1% of my income, that would, how in the world would I do that? And some of you, you give 10% or 20%. Some of you, it would take 50% for you to give for it to actually sting for you. And so we give not only joyfully, but radically. Number three, regular. You should be regular in your generosity. Be something, oh man, what is it, is it, I mean, is it time to be generous? When's the last time that we were generous? When's the last time that we gave to something or to someone or to anyone? No, it should be regular. It should be a part of your steady diet of being a believer. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, see that you excel in practicing generosity. See that you excel in this, which means it's a spiritual discipline, which is something that you do as you receive from the Lord, you give back to him. Number four, prayerful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, give as you have prayerfully decided in your own heart, which means you got to pray about it. you got to think about it. If you're married, you got to have a conversation as a spouse, uh, as, as a married, married couple together and ask what the Lord is calling you and your family to give. It needs to be prayerful. And then lastly, it needs to be local. 
needs to be local. Now, I encourage you to give globally. I encourage you to give anywhere and everywhere across the world. My wife and I, we give to all sorts of different ministries and organizations throughout the world. But our primary demonstration of generosity is to you. It's to you. You are our family. You are our community. This is our church. God has called us to be faithful to you. And so this is our primary demonstration of generosity, which is to you, the local church. Galatians 6, uh, 10 says, do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith, which it means financially doing good. Be generous, especially, which means primarily, your primary demonstration of generosity should be to the local church. All right, so here's, let me just encourage you. Some of you um, give on a regular basis. Some of you have never given before. Let me just break it down for you, encourage you real quick. These are um, a couple ways that you can give. The first way that you can give is you can give as the offering bucket passes on, an, on every Sunday. Our worship gatherings, both 9 and 11, you have the opportunity to be generous. And some of you are like, man, there ain't anything in that bucket. Wow. Well, that's because um, upwards of about 80% of you, 70 to 80% of you give online on a regular basis. My wife and I, we give online. You don't only have, you can give here in the worship gathering. You can also give online. You can make online contributions. We have set up an account, set up a login through there that we give every single month online. It comes out of our the paycheck, and um, we love doing that. It's easy for us. If it was up to me, I would forget every month. And so we do it, and we make it easy, we make it simple, and then some of you also have opportunities where you can mail it in or have your bank mail it in, bank account, there's ways, it's way over my head, I don't understand how that works, but your bank will do it for you as well. I just want to encourage you, these are ways that you can be generous to um, us. And here's the last thing I'll say, Um, if you have an issue with being generous to the Bridge Church for whatever reason, um, this is not a ploy to get your money, just give elsewhere, all right? If, If you got an issue with the Bridge for whatever reason, we try to practice financial transparency as a church, and we use the resources that God has given us. We steward them wisely, but if for whatever reason you have an issue, um, give somewhere else, Um, and there's actually an opportunity that you can give to that we do called Christmas for the City. And so today, uh, we are unveiling for the first time this year a Christmas for the City and what we are hoping for this year. So turn your attention to the screens, and we'll roll it out. We believe God is on a mission here. We believe God is bringing heaven to earth through you and me. We believe God is changing lives, restoring families, mending brokenness, healing the hurt, bringing justice, helping the helpless, all through the glorious good news of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christmas reminds us of this mission. Christmas reminds us that heaven is coming to earth. Christmas reminds us that heaven came to earth, that Jesus left his home to enter ours, to save the world. For Christians, Christmas is not primarily about presents or food or family. Christmas is primarily about Jesus and his mission. This Christmas, we're going to make it all about Jesus. We're going to give our best gift to Jesus this year. We're going to join him in his mission of seeing our city and the world look more like heaven. Here at The Bridge, the way we do this is through Christmas for the city. It's our one time a year to go above and beyond our regular giving and give to Jesus and his mission. Christmas for the city is what funds three ministry areas all year long. One, for the city, loving and serving the city ministry to underprivileged youth and persons of need. Two, for the nation, 
helping start as many new gospel-centered, multi-ethnic churches in our nation through church planning. And three, for the world. Seeing the gospel spread across the world through global partnerships and church planning. This Christmas for the city, join us this year as we make Christmas all about Jesus. All right. All right. So um, I am super excited about this. This is one of the, my favorite things that we do as a church. I want you to grab that envelope that was in your seat when you walked in. You might be sitting on it, might have put it in your purse, put it in the seat back in front of you. Why don't you grab that? Um, that's your envelope to take with you as well. There's an insert of a card. I want you to grab that insert out. Um, on one side, um, it says Christmas for the city, $92,600, um, which is our goal. That's nuts, by the way, you know, especially after everything that we've been through this year and a hurricane and how we have all been impacted. This is a, this is a crazy goal. And I want you to know that your leadership and your, your elders have prayed about this and have walked through this. This is a gospel decision, not a financial decision for us. All right. This is crazy. It's extravagant. 100% of every dime and every dollar that is given to this goes outside the bridge church. Where does it go? You can look on the back. It goes to three primary, primary areas, local, national, and international. Local serve the city that we do throughout the year. That's what funds serve the city three times a year. Mercy ministry, our deacon ministry, and helping those who are in need. Vigilant Hope, an organization. Local schools will give a check specifically to Snipes Academy and J.C. Rowe. Nationally, five church plants this year that we are partnering with to start five churches around uh, the country. Um, Restoration Church, the Brook Church, Center Church, New City Church, Kings Hill Church. A couple of those are previous uh, partnerships that we're continuing partnerships with. Um, New City Church, um, a pastor, a church planner, Eric Hobus, will actually be here with us in a couple weeks. And so I'm super excited about that. And I'm going to ask some of you to leave Wilmington and to move to Tampa to be a part of that church plant nationally and then internationally with Haiti Awake, Adam and Emily Byerly. Aaron Boswell in Vancouver, um, missionary family that will remain nameless because of where they're located in Southeast Asia, as well as a mission trip support for our ongoing mission efforts throughout the entire year, okay? So $92,600, it's crazy, it doesn't make sense. Why in the world would we ever do this? Because Jesus was crazy and he didn't make sense either, all right? And so I want you to give, um, my wife and I have already started praying this morning. She actually felt like she heard a number today from the Lord while she was here at our nine o'clock worship gathering. And I'm like, are you serious about that number? Are you serious about that? But we're praying through that and asking what God would want us to give. We say, give your first and your best gift to Jesus at Christmas. Okay. We love Christmas. We love the food. We love the presents. We love the festivities. But Christmas is primarily about Jesus and his mission of the world coming to know him. So give your first and your best gift to Jesus this year. This is above and beyond what your regular giving is to the bridge, and we will see what the Lord will do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your generosity to us and all the ways that you have been good to us. And so we praise your name today, and we bless you, and we say this is all about you. It's not about a church. It's not about us. It's not about a platform. It's not about our name. It's about you, and it's about what you're doing in the world. And so... God, we love you, and we just ask that you would cultivate in us a generous life, a generous hearts, that you would stir in us, in our church, Lord. So we submit to you, and 
we love you. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen.